take notes i love to write i love to write on paper i love to write notebooks matt what'd you give me for christmas this year i got you notebooks and pens and organizers correct i love it uh and i find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a like a text file or whatever actually writing something down physically helps me a lot it helps me organize my thoughts it helps me get my work done and Ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like, and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with. But getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, <laughs> that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a Paperlike on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their digital pro planner bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Comics Catch-Up. This is the show where... Your War Rocket Ajax hosts, 
My name is Matt Wilson. Chris Sims is here. Hello. We uh, we catch up on comics recommended by you, our listeners, and this is the to be continued from last month. We read the first half of the Wild Storm. I'm glad you said it right. Last month, and uh, you know, we had to read the second half this month. We sure did. <laughs> I was kind of expecting some kind of value judgment on that, but well, the, we sure the, the value judgment was implied. <laughs> Although honestly, I kind of feel like it. Obviously, it was not a complete story. Uh, the first twelve issues, uh, which is wild. I think it's it's wild like the wild storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, like, it was like, indeed a wild storm. I I do feel like we almost could have ranked this just after reading, I, I think maybe even like the first six. It didn't really change. I mean, the, yeah. the story, we'll get into it. The story changes rather drastically in the second half, but as far as like quality and tone, no, it didn't really change. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I, I would like to open this up in a, in a, sort of non-standard way for comics catch-up. We don't usually do this. Oh, you're breaking protocol on me? I'm, I'm breaking protocol. Okay. I'd like to give you, I guess, my pitch for what I would do if, uh, if I was allowed to expand on what is, what is going on in this book. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell the listeners, because that's extremely unlikely, I think. You know, I don't want to predict the future, but... Who can anymore? Yeah, anybody who's tried has failed. But I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I, I don't know if you should give away this good, good stuff so soon. Listen, but listen. I, I will also get it out there so that nobody steals it. TM, 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 TM. This is mine. This me first. I okay. get it. Matt, we all know. That this is essentially a book that pits various covert action teams against each other. Right, yeah. And we also know that this is a book where, like, there's stuff so secret it's extra-governmental. It's stuff nobody knows about. Some of it's in space. So what if there was a, some kind of task force, like, like, a, like a, a covert action team? Mm-hmm. But they were, like, completely off the books. Oh, wow. So, so going even further beyond what you get with a, a wild cat, a wild covert action team. Right. These would be, like, like, they're not tied to anyone, so no one knows who they're working for, and no one takes credit for them. Because they're a deniable operations group. A, a DOG? Yeah. A, a wild DOG. <laughs> <laughs> and they fight the wild covert action team. I mean, you know, you're really onto something here, I think. And you know what they you know what they fight like? And do you know when they fight? Please tell me. Well, they fight when it's raining. <laughs> uh-huh. And and Matt, they 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 fight they fight like like animals 
Right. They don't get along. Right, right, right. It's uh it's raining like wild cats and wild dogs, is what yeah. you're saying. And and oh man, okay, hang on, TM TM TM. You could call it raining cats and dogs. Like R-E-I-G-N. Raining? Question mark? Cats or dogs. I think this is gold. They're in combat with each other, right? Listen, listen. I'm I'm not going to say that I'm as good as as Warren Ellis. He's got a pretty strong track record in comics. He's done a lot. I'm going to say I could do this. Probably. <laughs> you could do this. What world leaders do I have to order the assassinations of to get a cup of coffee around here? I mean, you've nailed the sound. I mean, that sounds exactly like all the characters in this book. Every single character who does is it is it David Wolken? Is it our buddy David Wolken who was talking about like how he doesn't know if Warren Ellis knows you can just buy coffee? That's a good question. Widely available. There is absolutely a scene in this comic book, in these twelve issues of this comic book, where Jenny Mae Sparks, the who becomes sort of the de facto lead character of the book or the de facto hero of the book. Uh, she asks in a very unorthodox Warren Ellisy way for coffee. Yeah, man. She says, uh, come in here, create coffee, or something to that effect. She says, like, instead of just like, hey, can you make some coffee? Like, you know, a human being would ask. Well, Matt, these aren't, Matt, these aren't human beings. She says, like, conjure coffee. And that was the moment. Doctor me up some coffee. I had to go back and read it again. (laughs) Because Uh I was, that was the moment where I was like, I hate this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, did you, did you come down? By the way, I do think every comics catch-up should have a segment where we pitch our improved version. Raining Cats and Dogs is is mine for this one. So whatever we do next. It's Uh very good. I like it a lot. How has that never happened? Wildcats has been around since fucking 1992. Good question. It, how has there never been a Wild Dogs? Yeah. Maybe there was. I mean, fuck, I don't know. I've only read like one dude's run on. Or Wild what Cat. if, Chris, what if mm-hmm. the dogs are not wild? What if they are highly controlled? So they're dogs on a leash. Ooh. So they're on a leash, but they're also deniable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we can work out some of the some of the broader details. You know I, they like the skateboard, Matt. Uh huh. Down at Dog Town. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah i I came down. I came down in my opinion of this book in the second half. I'm I'm a little surprised because I will I will say this. I preferred the second half to the first half, uh, largely because there's a lot of Gen 13 content in this one, uh, which, you know, I was more excited by. Also because um, by the end of this, I I guess about like 22 or 23 issues in, the protagonists are here. The protagonists end up being the authority. Yeah. Like... Surprise, surprise, in the Warren Ellis Wildstorm book, the good guys end up being the authority. Yeah. Because everybody else is 
eminently hateable. Everybody else mega sucks. Like every scene with Henry Bendix is just like, hey, in case you didn't catch it earlier in this comic, this guy sucks. Bendix in this book is, I think, a a a kind of flattened out caricature. He's he's Dirk Anger. Yeah, he he's 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 Hairstar. Yeah. That's like that's all I could see when he was in because he's so over the over the top with his with his nonsense. But like Bendix, the, Bendix as previously written by Warren Ellis, I thought was a very interesting character. I don't know. I haven't gone back to Stormwatch in a long time. But, but I feel like a lot of the the lead characters in this book, a lot of the the characters we spend the most time with. Mm-hmm are either cartoonishly evil or like clearly so in over their head that they come off as incompetent. Yeah. Like uh, the head of IO is clearly like not suited for his job. And every- Miles Craven. Miles Craven. Everybody wants to kill him. And by the end of it, he's just like, you know, loosened tie, hair frazzled, no idea what to do with himself. Yeah, I feel like his fall into like full on, uh, like Doctor Strange love stuff comes weirdly quickly for a story that plays out over 24 issues. Well, that's the thing about this book everything happens, everything ends too quickly. It's like you had 24 issues to tell a story. And you gave us 20-ish issues of, like, this extremely slow build. This extremely prestige television slow build. Mm -hmm. Where characters get introduced very methodically. We learn the ins and outs of these secret extra-governmental organizations. We very slowly get the whole backstory of these alien races that are at war with each other. And their war has been brought to Earth and brought in, mixed in with these extra governmental organizations. We learn about uh, John Lynch and his whole program to infuse people with alien DNA and how that's messed them up. And then everything ends mega abruptly in like the last two issues. Yeah. And with like, with so much stuff kind of left on the table too, like the the Wildcats characters barely show up in the second half of the book. Yeah, I mean, the, all this stuff set up with John Lynch and his the the people in his Project Thunder book, and we only kind of get a resolution on them. Yeah. Well, it, that's that's because they're just gonna they're, they're just there to have kids that are gonna go be Gen thirteen, but like. I, and I know this was supposed to be continued in other books, but I also know that this this series was conceived as a 24-issue series. Like, that is what it was meant to be from the start. This is the length it is supposed to be, correct? Yeah, I mean, again, the it has spots for 24 issues on the covers. Yeah. It, it could be... It could be less. Fewer, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the story that gets meted out, we could just be told what the deal is with the Kara alien race and not have how it hard, like... How hard were you laughing when the word Karen finally showed up? Karen and Karer were both mishearings of Kara, which, you know, it's that's somewhat clever. Yeah. But like... We could have just found out who that, what was up with them, and not have like little bits and pieces of their story just given to us piecemeal throughout. We didn't have to have Henry Bendix drop uh, a cylinder of crystal that blows up like a nuclear explosion more than once. We could have just been told that's what this does. Yeah. Which, which, on the on the one hand, it's like, yeah, I do want to see these things happen. You know, I would rather be shown than told sometimes, but, but I would rather... Do we have to be shown three times? <laughs> do we have to be shown three times, and d- does so much more could have happened in this book? I, Matt, I mean, look, uh, like, we pitched X-Men 92 as a 24-issue series, yeah. and I feel like we got more done in 10 before we got canceled. Well, here's here's the perfect example. Midnighter and Apollo end up being very important characters in this. Mm -hmm. And they show up in what? Issue 22? They show up so late. So late. So late. And uh, they show up in 17. They literally show up in 17. And that's just like in silhouette. Yeah. they, They are prominently featured, I think, for the first time in 18 or 19 of 24. Yeah. And like, I like... I like a comic that like has a lot of moving parts, but the trick is that you have the moving parts and then you build towards interweaving them. You don't just keep on introducing moving parts as far as it goes. And I like it. And ants condescending to Eagles, Matt, (laughs) like Warren Ellis certainly knows how to do this. He's like his structure and his talent for like structuring comics is usually my favorite thing about his work. Yeah, but I this agreed. Is just like, it's 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 so weird. It's and a- I don't know if it's like if he's trying to if the object was like let's do the opposite of the original Wildstorm universe, like of the original like Wildcats, where it's a it's an early you know it's an image launch title, so everything happens super fast and all of this stuff is introduced super fast. Uh, so let's you know really meet it out slowly. But, but like, if that's the intent, like, I think it kind of falls flat. I have an alternate theory. Yeah. My alternate theory is that this is a little, it's too clever for its own good. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something, you know, if, if we said that to Warren Ellis, like, you're being too clever for your own good, he'd probably like, you know put his hand up to his mouth and laugh. Cause, cause you know, he, he would love to be told that, but like an anime lady. Yeah. Like an anime like lady. Be like Warren, this is a little too clever for its own good. And he'd be like, Oh, Nandeska, He would say, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but Like, I feel like this is supposed to mirror how these characters were introduced 
in the books. So it makes sense for the authority characters to show up and become the authority so late because the authority as a group comes much later than the rest of the Wildstorm universe, right? Well, yeah, but the engineer is in number one. The engineer is in number one, just like certain authority characters were in Stormwatch, right? Yeah, but but I don't think the engineer was. It's. I'm not saying it's a one-to-one. Okay, I'm not okay. saying, like, it's exactly the engineer. But I'm saying, like, this is plotted out to introduce characters or groups in sort of kind of the order that we got them in the original Wildstorm universe. I also think if you, I, and I'm saying this is someone with some knowledge of the Wildstorm universe, but certainly not like encyclopedic knowledge of the Wildstorm universe. Mm -hmm. If you knew nothing about the Wildstorm universe, so much of this book would mean nothing to you. Yeah. It's, it's so weird because it takes so much time and yet it it's not that it explains so little it just explains it doesn't explain what it should probably well you're talking about project thunderbook being gen 13 if you know that you know that if you know who caitlin fairchild is you know that but if you don't what bearing does that scene with her mom have on the rest of the book yeah, there's there's no they mention the kids obviously, but there is like no indication that that is going to be something. Like and also we don't know if like the Gen 13 kids are like five in well, this, you know? We notably never see them. The, yeah. They're talked about and one thing that is made clear through every meeting John Lynch has with one of these Project Thunderbook members is that they all felt this drive to have a child. Like it was an uncontrollable feeling that I had to have a kid, right? And if you know Gen 13, you're like, mm-hmm, this is going to be Gen 13. But if you don't, or even if you're kind of only like passingly familiar with Gen 13, that just seems like a subplot that ends up going nowhere. Yeah. They're referred to as like, like the, the experiment, like, like, yeah, we were part of the, we were part of the 12th generation experiment of such and such. It's mentioned exactly once. Uh, so yeah, it just kind of, it's just John Lynch driving around. And again, like maybe there were plans and there still are plans to do more with the characters introduced in this book. There was a Michael Gray miniseries. Mm -hmm. But like... I guess with the mission that he gets from... uh, from Lynch, right? uh, I think that's right. I don't know anything about that miniseries, really. But what I do know is, I think this... this series needs to stand on its own. Like especially if it's not coming out at the same time as like other offshoot series. Like if there was an offshoot project Thunderbolt series, okay, fine. But if there's not, and this is it, 
and has the potential to be it, to be the whole thing, Project Thunderbook, not Thunderbolt, then this needs to stand on its own. This needs to introduce characters, give them clear motivations and clear goals, and then have them work toward those goals through the whole series. And the character who gets that more than anybody is the engineer. She is the character with the arc. She is the character yeah. who makes a decision to change affiliations midstream once she learns what the deal with the Kara actually is and why uh, Jacob Marlowe is doing what he's doing. And it, you know, she joins together with the authority and they all have a group sex and then do some hero stuff at the end. But it's like, she's the only one, but we spend all this time with all these other characters. Like, I feel like we are supposed to feel like it is a wholly triumphant moment after uh, Miles Craven dies when Jacqueline King takes over IO when battalion takes over IO I felt nothing <laughs> I I have some positive things to say about this book I really do I do, I do have some good ones cuz overall I don't regret that I spent time reading this it's just you know I also wish I it would have been a different way to spend my time um first I have a question for you, Matt. Okay. Is a uh, futurist with nanomachines in their blood waking up after superhero group sex and demanding that someone bring them a cup of coffee, but like in terms a human being wouldn't use? Is that the most Warren Ellis thing that has ever been in a comic? Or is it. Is it his first issue of Thor, which opens up with a naked dude sitting on a bed smoking a cigarette and saying, I hate America? That's a close race. That's a close race, for for sure. Uh, My fundamental problem with this book is, is, and I think it's, it's kind of married to what I believe is your fundamental problem with this book. Uh... Which is, if I have you right, Matt, not to put words in your mouth, but uh, if I have you right, it's that this doesn't mean anything if you don't already know about these characters. Yeah. Okay. That's part of it. I'll, I'll get to I'll, – I'll very clearly state my main problem with it once you make this point. But I, I think this is one of the issues, yeah. Well, here is the, here is the conflicting problem that I have with it as someone who – has read a bunch of stuff with these characters. All of these characters have better versions of themselves out there. Like, like the the Steve Orlando Midnighter is is more interesting than this Midnighter. Can I say, the, while we're yeah. talking about Midnighter, I hate huh? this design of Midnighter with the face mask. Yeah. The the it looks like something, and I can't figure out what it looks like, and it's bugging me. He he, it's to make him look more like a knight, but I I, I don't like it. Like, why are you covering his whole face? It look it just looks bulky. I don't like it. Yeah, 
I guess what I'm saying is like I prefer Warren Ellis's Midnighter to Warren Ellis's Midnighter. I guess. Yeah, agreed. I like a lot. No, I like the original versions of the Authority characters across the board more than these. How long ago? Like how long ago was those Steve Orlando uh, doing Midnighter? Like four years, four or five, five years? years. Yeah, not that long. Yeah, that's like a much more engaging take on these characters in a in a different universe. And and maybe that's the missing ingredient. Maybe like the the universe of the Wild Storm is not a superhero universe, and so all of these characters that are created as reactions to superheroes don't really make sense, or th- there's nothing for them to do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a big chunk of it. Where it's just like they have to be there. Yeah, but. When you have that many moving pieces on the board, not all of them can play a major role. Yeah. You know? If you have to introduce every character, they can't possibly all be important. Yeah. But at the same time, if, you, if you've if you got 24 issues, you ought to be able to do it. This Matt, this the Wildstorm is twice as long as Watchmen. It's twice as long as as Squadron Supreme. It is. I mean, it's not as long as Pluto. <laughs> it's about. It's about maybe a third the length of Pluto. But you know, it's. I don't know that it's twice as long as Watchmen. It's twice as many issues as Watchmen. I don't know by page count if it is twice as long, but it's certainly longer. Here's I'll boil down my main complaint, my main criticism, as as succinctly as I can. We talked last time about how this feels like a season of prestige television, right? It's got this super prestige television-y feel to it. If you were to watch a season of prestige television, if you were to watch a season, season of Orphan Black or... Better Call Saul, or you know, uh, uh, Succession, right? And there were all these threads set up, all these plot threads where you have to suspect that they're going somewhere in the finale. But they're either seemingly just dropped, or they're wrapped up really quickly because the thing has to end like the whole thing about like the the who the leader of io is going to be sincerely happens in maybe like three pages of story Mm -hmm. you would be furious because you just spent 12 hours you just watched 12 episodes to get to this 13th episode that doesn't pay off on the 12 hours you previously spent. And that's how I felt when I got to the end of this. Mm-hmm. I did not get the payoffs. And, you know, I'm, I don't know that I'm blaming Warren Ellis for that. Because, as we said, Warren Ellis knows how to tell a story. I don't know if it's some kind of thing where he was told, like, set up other books in this book. Or leave threads hanging so we can follow them later. But if this is the only thing you're reading, 
it is mega frustrating, especially if you're not told. Find out the rest of the story in John Lynch number one, you know? Yeah. Uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What is the wild storm? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, it's the, it's the title of the book because it was the the name of the like publishing company, like like the imprint that these books were originally published under. But like, what is it? Is is it just called that? Like, because that's what these because. It's not Wildstorm, one word, yeah. where my southern accent really came out for a second. Wildstorm. Wildstorm. It's the Wildstorm, right? What is the Wildstorm? Is- I mean, I, I guess it's the conflicts. I guess it's the conflicts between IO and Skywatch and between... Which are all very contained? These alien races, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's like the brewing conflict that, that's that's been building to like what all happens in the climax again, extremely abruptly. Mm-hmm. It's I just like just reading it. I was just like, "Hey, what is it? What is it, man?" <laughs> like usually, when I buy a comic book and I look at the cover, I know what it is. <laughs> I know what the thing on the cover is. I don't even know what this fucking square is on the covers of these books, man. Okay, Chris, can I ask you a question? Yes. We we know that Jacob Marlowe, who's also known as Imp of Kara, is a, a key important part of this book. Mm-hmm. He's like a key figure. The The events of the book start when Michael Cray attempts to assassinate him by, by shooting him, and then he falls out of a building, and Engineer flies up and saves him, setting off everything. Uh, what you might call the inciting event. Mm-hmm. The inciting incident, right? Yes. Where's he at the end of this? Um... He's, I mean, I guess he's like, he gets a phone call about uh, th- what's going to happen, and then I don't think we see him again. Yeah. Like, Angela calls him on the phone, and she's like, hey, Lord Imp from the Wildcats cartoon, there's about they're about to drop some shit on New York. Uh, I did confuse Michael Cray and Mark Slayton, a.k.a. Backlash, earlier. Yeah. Mark Very Slayton. That he is never referred to as fucking Backlash. In the- Mark Slayton is, is one of the Project Thunderbook uh, people. Yeah. He, who does not have a Gen 13 kid. Uh, but sincerely, shouldn't we care about what happens to Jacob Marlowe? Even though he's revealed to be you know, something other than what he claims to be at the start. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it yeah. be important to that's, know that's where saying. he ends up? Like, because cause Angela is not the main character of the first couple issues. 
Like, she's there, but there's other stuff going on. She's the character that we end up following through the the entire uh, book, or the entire story. And, you, and you're right, like, she is the, the, char- the one who has an arc. Nobody else really does. Yeah, and, and, and to make that point, to hammer that point home, Jacob Marlowe ceases to be important when Angela essentially leaves him and his people, the Halo Corporation squad, behind. Like, when she goes to hang out with the Authority, not only does Jacob Marlowe, but also, like, Cole Cash... We and do, Kenesha. We do not see fucking hide nor hair of uh, Grifter in these twelve issues that we read. I think <laughs> he appears. He shows up once to to teach Angela how to use guns. Yeah, yeah. Day. Angela, Angela has to, or Angela has to ask him how to make a gun out of her hand. Yeah, take this gun apart so that I can three D print a gun with the nano machines in my blood, and bring me a cup of coffee before I detonate all these. These, I don't know. She's going to do something drastic to get coffee, I guess. So ultimately, Angela ends up being like kind of the only important character to the point where the character whose life she saved at the start of the book ceases to be important yeah. when she's done with him. And that doesn't make any sense to me. I I would say... That that is a an accurate complaint. Can I say some nice things about this? Yeah, you may. Okay, thank you. I appreciate the permission. Um, I do appreciate the approach of uh, if you're gonna update these characters for 2020, uh, a make everybody queer. Just, just do it. Go for it. Why not? Or at the very least. Yeah, it's and and specifically, it seems that everyone is pansexual because everybody fucking everybody, <laughs> except except uh, Apollo and Midnighter who are who are gay, who are very much with each other. Yes, yeah. Um, second, uh, I do think it's a good like a really good thing that again, if you're updating these characters, why not make Battalion uh, a woman? There's there's another character uh, who's like an old Wildstorm character who ends up being. Uh, being reinvented uh, as a woman in this too, which I did appreciate. Uh, also, I quite like the art. I really, really like the art. I think John Davis Hunt. Like we, we had some complaints about people looking a little samey in the first volume, or, or in the first twelve, I guess, which is volumes one and two. Uh, and I think that goes away in a lot of ways in this one. Oh, also, Voodoo's hardly in this one. Like Voodoo shows up on like three panels. She's uh, talked again. She's talked about uh, Zealot is basically barely in this as well. Mm-hmm. There's a the page where uh, the Doctor. Which how did they get away with calling that character just the Doctor? How did they get away with that, Matt? Well, I can't imagine the term the Doctor can be trademarked. <laughs> yeah, but I mean he's. Definitely just Doctor Who. Like, like he is, you know, reborn in a new body every couple years, and when he goes and talks to the, like, in, in the the original Authority run, like, when he goes and talks to dudes, like, they definitely look like Doctor Who's. Anyway. 
the page where the doctor is bringing up uh, Apollo and Midnighter, uh, bringing them up to speed on all of the exciting and thrilling events of this book. Uh, it breaks down into like what are essentially uh, what six tiny nine panel pages. Uh, oh no, there's actually a, like an extra line of panels in here, but it's like it's a ton of tiny little panels, but they're all very clear. It's very uh, well done as far as like what's happening, uh, the way it's presented. It's things that we have seen in the book so far that are very easy to identify. And that's in, like, teeny tiny little panels. And that, I think, is, like, very impressive bit of storytelling. There's a couple things, like, I don't like, like I said, I don't like the redesign of Midnighter. Mm-hmm. But I do think that John Davis Hunt has an easier time of it in this second half. Partially because some of these characters have costumes now. Yes. Or they're easier to distinguish from each other because they're weird-looking alien creatures, and you get to see them in those alien forms. Yeah. Or Michael or, or Miles Craven gets more exaggerated as he goes on. Yeah, he's so, easier to identify, too. Yeah. The, but, or you've got the, the members of Project Thunderbook who you know, are glowing with these pink auras all around them and have, you know, these exaggerated faces or you can see kind of like they're the alien DNA represented in what's around them. So, uh, you know, as we said last time, I think John Davis Hunt is a very, a very good draftsman. Like his page layouts are, nicely done. The storytelling is always fairly clear, if not very clear. And I think once he starts getting to play around with some like superhero character design with some superhero costumes or people doing superhero things like Jenny Sparks being a big electricity person mm-hmm. at one point, he can really break away from the kind of like samey people sitting in offices talking about technology thing. That was so much of the first half of this book. Yeah. Uh, my one other, like, kind of unconditional positive is uh, I don't like Bendix, Henry Bendix in this, Weatherman. Yeah. Uh, but I like his assistant. And when she actually gets to, like, have a personality in in this book, like, it made me want Bendix to have been killed like 18 issues ago so that she takes over because she's a much more interesting character. Like Bendix is a cartoon. She is the person who has to manage the cartoon, which is, I think for you and me inherently the more interesting character. That's yeah. a Destro. Yeah. You're talking about Fahrenheit. Uh, is Lauren Pennington. She is Fahrenheit, isn't she? Yeah. She's I Fahrenheit. I completely missed that this entire book. Well, because none of that is said, because yeah. you have to know, because you have to, you have to be in in the know of all this Wildstorm stuff to get any of this. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I would be very curious. Like, there's a pull quote on the cover. It's like Warren Ellis's best superhero work to date, and I'm like, 
I, I am not telling you that you shouldn't think that. I would be very curious to read your justifications. So I guess I'm going to have to go read that review. I, the only person I can imagine saying that is someone who is deeply knowledgeable about the Wildstorm universe. So every time something came up that they recognized, they were like, Haha, I get this, and I feel smart for getting this. But I would say most people reading this are not going to have that reaction. Yeah, but if you have read all that stuff, then it's even more uh, confusing why you think this is one of the superhero work. Yeah, because you've read Stormwatch. Yeah. What do you think Warren Ellis' best superhero work is, Matt? Mm, I mean, I'm very, very partial to Next Wave. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I honestly wasn't even thinking of that as a superhero book. But, it, I mean, it definitely, absolutely is. Uh, yeah, it's got, it's got Monica Rambeau in it. Yeah, it's, got, it's, got, it's got the Avengers in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that you're probably right. Yeah. I can't think of a better one. I just wish this was better. I really, really do. It 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 doesn't read like a Warren Ellis book because even though it's like very meticulous, like the pages are gridded, no sound effects. Did you notice that? I did notice that. Yeah, yeah. It's the old Watchman trick. A lot of old Watchman tricks in this one, but like it's got. Warren Ellis characters, and it's got, like, Warren Ellis, like, ideas. I actually think the way that the engineer works now, like, the la- like when the engineer was originally created, 3D printers were not a thing, you know? Right. I think they, they were, you know, being talked about as things that could exist, but they didn't. Uh, but, like, her being able to, like, if she sees a bullet, she can only make a solid thing that looks like a bullet. If she sees inside it, she can replicate it exactly, which I think is really neat. Uh, I I mean, I also like the idea of like her engineer suit, the, the sort of nanotechnology inside of her body was initially screwed up. So it was hurting her and it didn't work right, but then it got fixed and then she could do all this, all this cool stuff. Yeah. In, including like the 3D printing stuff. I really would like to see like a Iron Man down in the basement montage of her actually fixing it and not just have her be like, hey, I fixed my, I fixed my armor. Yeah. But like, she's the only character that I think is vastly improved. And I, yeah. I do think the engineer is a better version of that character for the most part. She's certainly a more. <sighs> I don't know if relatable is quite the right word, but like when we, when we meet the engineer in the authority, cause she was not a Stormwatch character. She, I think shows up in authority number one, right? I think, I think you're right. I, I can yeah, check and make sure on that. It's, it's her and Apollo and Midnighter. Do they show up in Stormwatch? Okay. So there's a version of the engineer who st- shows up in Stormwatch, but he's a totally different character. Hmm. Uh, point being, we get to know her and like we get her motivations for doing this. She wants to help people. 
like it is specific like she says multiple times and even like in the note she leaves for Jacob Marlowe she's like hey I invented this thing to help people here's a, a list of things you can do they are for search and rescue operations use use them for that please peace out like that is a much more like we get her we can like that's a that's a save the cat you know not to make it too cliche but it's a we know she's good right we know she's nice yeah yeah um, like she's again she's the character you can root for in the book so she's she's got a lot of the like you know classic Warren Ellis stuff but like it's got the structure it's got the ideas it's got characters but everything is just a little bit off so it doesn't feel like a Warren Ellis book it feels like someone who really likes Warren Ellis writing it but not like in a not like quite in a good way like if you read Steve Orlando Midnighter you're like wow this dude loves Grant Morrison but like in a good way yeah uh to to, so we have said it on the show and uh people don't have to correct us angie speaker does show up the first appearance in authority number one okay with her sexy metal liquid engineer body her sexy sexy uh, uh metropolis body yeah that is definitely an improvement here where her engineer form is not like a naked lady, but metal mm-hmm. the design, it's a, a lady, but a fighter jet. Yeah. Which is thumbs up. This design is definitely better, much yeah. better. Um, and, and, you know, I like some of these takes on some of these characters. Like, this is an interesting version of the Doctor, but is it better than the original Authority Doctor, who you see a lot more of and you learn a lot more about? Yes, because I fucking hate him. Okay. Is this I, a better version of Jack Hawksmore, who's just absolutely like not. <laughs> a guy who lost his memory? Yeah. Absolutely not. Also, is yeah. Swift in this at all? Did I miss Swift? Ooh. No, well, maybe I don't know. Swift was around in in Stormwatch. But yeah, yeah, Swift like, was. Yeah, if she's in here, it's it's quick because I don't recall seeing her. And like, even like Voodoo is only in here for like, you know, a, a grand total. I would wager less than twelve pages. Yeah, I I mean I like the idea of like celebrity voodoo celebrity superhero voodoo Mm -hmm. but she's yeah she's barely in it like i would say in large part most of these characters are not better versions because we got to know the other versions we got to because they got to be members of a team of six other characters five or six other characters rather than being one of i don't know Charitably, we could say this book juggles 20, like, two dozen characters. I mean, it's it's all the authority and essentially, like, Stormwatch and, and the parents of Gen 13. And what have I said about parents, Matt? Yeah. And Wetworks. And, like, everybody's in this... 
Yeah, it's the whole Wildstorm universe. Minus, like, Gen 13 and Sleeper. Right, no Sleeper. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I have one last question before you, before I think we can well and truly move on. Okay. The first time you read The Authority, Mm -hmm. like the first time. Yeah. Did you get that Jack Hawksmore was a Spider-Man riff? Maybe subconsciously I did, but I don't think I would have expressed it. It wasn't until I saw, I think it's in the, like, Frank Quitely. So it's like the second 12 issues of Authority. Uh, Like, he draws everybody in, like, silhouette. And that might just be on, like, the paperback of the Absolute or something. Uh, and, And he draws, you know, obviously Apollo in a Superman pose, Midnighter in a Batman pose. But, like, he draws... Jack Hawksmore, like, you know, knees up, arms out, classic, like, Spider-Man pose. And that's when it all clicked for me. Hanging upside down on a web. (laughs) Hanging upside down on a web. uh, With half of his face as Jack Hawksmore and the other half as (laughs) Spider-Man. Because the spider sense is going off. Yeah. (laughs) Alright, man, let's, let's, let's talk about this thing. Again, I didn't hate it. We've been almost universally negative in this but I didn't hate it. I didn't hate the first half. I think the second half I did. I was approaching hate. I was approaching like, like not bottom of the list kind of stuff, but just frustrated. I, I, I've expressed my frustrations with this book. I think pretty, pretty clearly. I ended up being quite, frustrated uh i i would say like i would say like i enjoyed it probably i probably more enjoyment than frustration but also uh like i was not in a hurry to go back and read it uh when you were like hey can we can we do a comic sketch up this week and then i was in a hurry to finish it yesterday so that does not speak well of it. All right. I'm going to read out to you some points of comparison. Okay. You tell me if this is worse or better than these things. Okay. These are, these are from the list. Uh, Gen 13 grunge, the movie. Uh, no, it's not, not as good. It's not as good as that. Like grunge, the movie is first of all, only three issues long <laughs> or no grunge. The movie is a one shot. So it gets a lot done. Uh, Magical Drama Queen Roxy. Uh, I would say not as good as that. Both of those are Adam Warren joints. Yeah. Uh, They are also Wildstorm books, which is why I read them out. I'm trying to find the next Wildstorm thing we have on the list. Those are in the 500s. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Magical Drama Queen Roxy is at 572. Let's see. Where's our next Wildstorm thing? I mean, we've got to have one. Matt, Grunge the Movie is three issues. I was right the first time. It's it's in Gen 13 bootleg. All right. Don't doubt yourself. Yeah. Well, this isn't Wildstorm technically, even though it was... Under a Wildstorm imprint, uh, top ten smacks. 
Is it six fifty eight? Uh, I would. I mean, I'd say it's probably not as good as that. Like, I mean, Flex Mentallo is at six sixty nine, and I would read Flex Mentallo one hundred times before I read this again. Yeah, I cannot see myself as much as I like the art, as much as I like pieces of this, as much as honestly, like I, I generally like Warren Ellis uh, books. I cannot see myself ever revisiting this book, unfortunately. I mean, there's always the chance that these characters could appear in other stuff later, and it could follow up on the threads that are introduced in this book, and so on and so forth. But are you going to want to go back to it and like, (laughs) like, be like, now what was that person's deal again? Yeah, that's a good point. So I'm not exactly finding other Wildstorm stuff just on looking at this, even though I know we have other Wildstorm stuff on the list. Mm-hmm. But I'll just start looking at some some things we can compare against. Um, Kingdom Come is at 800. It's probably not that good. I feel like this is like this is this is fine, right? Like it's annoying. It's it's irritating. It's irritating. But it's got it's got good parts, but mostly it's irritating. Uh I think it should go at maybe 937. That's that's pretty low. Uh, how about this? At 853 is Young Blood Strike File number 1 through 4 where Ch- Chapel finds out he has AIDS. <laughs> Is this better than that? Uh, Am I putting you probably, in a tough spot with that, Chris? Yeah. It's probably better than that. Uh, y- you should scroll down and see what's at 936, so you know why I said that this should go at 937. Oh, it's Maximum Carnage. I see what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Um, I think this probably goes... Maybe a little higher than that. Okay, at number 899 is the issue where Superman and Batman fight vampires in South Carolina. Okay. How how do you compare? I mean, Matt, I think think Action Comics Annual number one, Skeeter, is better. But I do think this is like... I mean, look, this is probably better than Age of Apocalypse. Probably better than Onslaught. I would read this again before I read Avengers Forever again. For sure. Similarly frustrating, even though in Avengers Forever like comes together at the end. But I, I get it. Avengers Forever is also a book where, if you're not deeply versed in Avengers, you're like, what the fuck is happening? At 902... Currently, we have New Avengers Volume 1 Breakout, which I think is actually weirdly comparable to this, because it is another book where it's like, hey, it's all those characters you like, but this is okay. It's okay. I would say say New Avengers Volume 1 beats this just by virtue of the fact that where it's like, okay, we're going to do a new thing with characters you may have seen before. But at least that book, like, gives you introductions to the characters. 
in a way that this book refuses to do for you. Then I think it goes right below there. I think it goes above the supervillain team up uh, champions crossover. All right. So entering the list, the new number nine oh three is the Wild Storm, which I think we can say as two Warren Ellis fans. Uh, you know, not our favorite of his work. It is going above Wildcats 3.0, which is at number 924. Yeah. Wildcats 3.0, which uh, does not hold up upon revisiting it. (laughs) Uh, You have 24 issues, Matt. That's a lot of issues. Yeah, man. I... I I don't know. I I wanted to like this so much more than I ended up liking it. I'm sorry to all the people who probably expected us to say different things about this comic, given the Warren Ellisiness of it, and it is undoubtedly Warren Ellisy. I do think that it fell for me into the grading side of Warren Ellisiness more so than the like funny and enjoyable side. Yeah, again, it's a lot of like this kinda seems like a kinda seems like an impression. Alright, we caught up. We will do a poll for May for a new book to read. Uh so if you have any suggestions for what should go on that poll uh, hit us up at War Rocket Pod on Twitter or on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com or by email at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, this monthly series, as well as regular Every Story Ever specials, are regular Ajax episodes, and Movie Fighters and Snack Situation are made possible by your support on patreon.com. Patreon.com slash warrocketajax specifically. Uh, so if you enjoy what we're doing and you have a little cash to spare, uh, some Patreon help would be fantastic. If you're interested in seeing the other stuff I do, you can head over to mattdwilson.net and find links to everything that I do. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find the things that I do at the-isb.com. That has links to everything, including things that I've written and other podcasts that you can listen to. If this one's over and you still got dishes. See you next month, everybody. We'll catch up on something else. Yeah. Good catching up. (laughs) 